0: All right, how about your next patient?
1: So the next patient is a wonderful woman. She's 70 years old. She had presented about two years ago now with rectal bleeding. She had seen her primary care physician and subsequently a surgeon within a day or two, and she had a hemoglobin of 10.5. She had undergone an initial exam and a CAT scan, and she had pulmonary and hepatic lesions, and she was referred to me just a few days later. I rechecked her CBC, and her hemoglobin was 8.5 just over the course of a few days. So at that point, she was not symptomatic from her pulmonary or her hepatic lesions. She had dropped a hemoglobin substantially. She was passing bright red blood. And I did refer her for radiation and started on capecitabine. That did take care of the GI bleed. She came back post-radiation therapy and was started on Fulvox. Initially, she was also given bevacizumab. She had another episode of GI bleed. She had some episodes of epistaxis. And so we had stopped the bevacizumab after a few months. There was very, very significant improvement radiographically. She had stabilization of her hepatic and her pulmonary disease, and this lasted for just about a year. The patient started to experience very significant fatigue, and she just looked washed out. She came back in. And at that point, she had decided that she wasn't going to do any more therapy. I talked to her about the fact that she was KRAS wild type and that there was therapy that would be of benefit to her. And so we discussed the possibility of giving this a try. She ultimately agreed to go on therapy, and she was treated with cetuximab and erinotecan.
0: And just to clarify, though, at that point, she really wasn't on bevacizumab. So she wasn't progressing on bevacizumab, correct? She had not
1: been progressing on, no, she had been progressing on fulfox.
0: So I guess, Charlie, in terms of biologics, theoretically, as an alternative to receiving an EGFR antibody, this patient could have gone back to bevacizumab.
2: It's certainly reasonable.
0: Just one question about the original presentation, Phil. It seems like the bleeding she had was controlled with the chemo radiation. But what about surgery at that point? The surgeon had been involved before I was. He was concerned
1: about the fact that she had very extensive hepatic disease, all segments of her liver were involved. She had a number of pulmonary nodules, and I think he was hesitant about the possibility of bringing her to surgery.
0: You know, it kind of brings up the topic that's really come out a lot in the last couple of years. Memorial's done a lot of really interesting work, speaking of Len Salts and his group and surgeons, looking at the issue of people presenting with primary and metastatic disease and... Can you go to systemic therapy and hold off on the surgery? And they've even been talking in terms of rectal cancer about holding off on chemo radiation, going directly to a first-line regimen for metastatic disease like Fulfox Bev. These have been people without symptoms, though, from the primary, and this lady had bleeding. But, Charlie, what's your take, though, on this question, more in the asymptomatic patient of holding off on surgery?
2: Well, I think the data from Memorial and now other centers speaks to the fact that you really can deliver therapy to patients who present with metastatic disease and not resect their primaries. Memorial's data showed that in an asymptomatic population, that essentially 93% of patients through the natural history of their stage four colorectal cancer required no further interventions upon their primary. And that included those individuals who were getting bevacizumab where there had been a theoretical concern that Bev might increase the risk of perforation or bleeding, but that, in fact, was not the case. And even for the minority of patients who required some intervention, either surgery or a stent, the complication rates associated with surgery for that small subset was very low.
0: So we were talking with the other patient about the issue of dermatologic toxicity in EGFR antibodies. How did this woman do from that point of view on cetuximab and Tcan?
1: So she's the opposite end of the spectrum because she started feeling so much better. She had been having significant difficulties of fatigue and even a little shortness of breath. And she did have a rash. It was very manageable. It was primarily just a facial rash, by no means debilitating. And she was actually surprised and grateful to feel better otherwise.
0: Now, did you use any specific dermatologic management strategies in her?
1: It's same sort of thing that I think probably at that time, we probably did start with the clindamycin gel and then subsequently put it on doxycycline. So what's her current situation? So she had a great response. She did very well until about May of this year. And then she started to have some difficulties of fatigue and shortness of breath and even passing a little blood per rectum. That was scant. Because of her radiographic and clinical evidence of progression, I changed her to full FOX. And I was concerned about some episodic rectal bleeding, and she had had some bleeding on Bev in the past, so I did not give her Bev back. But we just repeated a scan, and she's got progression of disease on Fulfox, and she clearly looks much more drawn and fatigued. And today, she was just kind of, I won't say dragged herself in the clinic because she's got a strong spirit, but she's quite frail right now. Despite that, she's not ready to not pursue any therapy. She wants to have more treatment. So what are you thinking? Well, we had a talk today about a range of things. I discussed with her the fact that she did have a response previously to cetuximab, that she could get pamitumumab, that she might get a brief response. But I used that brief response as kind of an introduction to talk to her about possibly transitioning to a bridge program with the visiting nurses and maybe to hospice.
0: What about clinical trials?
1: Right now, I don't have access to a trial to offer her
0: So, Charlie, if she were to see you, any study you have access to that would be a consideration?
2: At the moment, the trials we'd probably offer would be phase one studies. Given her performance status, she may not be an ideal candidate for those, and particularly given the intensity of visits for pharmacokinetics and other things, it may be challenging for her. She may also not opt for it. I was impressed that she very much wants to pursue some form of therapy And you mentioned advanced directives with the earlier patient. I think Phil did a great job in bringing that up in today's visit and really trying to give her the opportunity to express what she wanted, and at the same time, putting into context where we are with her disease.
0: So can you tell us more, Phil, in terms of exactly what you talked about today in that regard? So she asked what could be expected by trying something else for therapy.
1: And I said, well, if we got a response, it's possible we could get a response that might last a few months, but it would be misleading to think that it was going to be too much longer than that. And that given how frail she looked, I thought it would be a good idea for us to get some visiting nurse help, at least going out to meet with her and talk to her about subsequent transitions. She had a friend that was accompanying her today who was nodding in agreement during that part of the conversation. So that was kind of telltale that there was more going on in terms of her debility
0: than the patient was willing to let on. What are her support systems, people there to help her?
1: Not good. And that's part of the sad situation here. She has very limited financial means. She shares an apartment with another woman that she has issues with. So she has friends that were former coworkers who have stayed involved in her life, but she relies on them for rides to and from the treatment and for clinic visits. But she's got a rather lonely lifestyle.